what's truly important in life and what we're going after here. In the end, it's people, it's relationships, it's how we're bringing value to each other and how we're bringing value to this community. Welcome to SheEO.World podcast, where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Hello, I'm Carly Cunningham, and I'm thrilled to be guest hosting this episode of the SheEO podcast. I'm a SheEO activator and the founder of Big Bold Brand, where we work at the intersection of business and brand strategy, communications, sales, and marketing. We co-create with changemakers, visionaries, innovators, and paradigm shifters, those who charge towards difficult challenges and get excited about tackling the impossible and building the unimagined to create a more equitable, sustainable, and healthier world, just like those in our CEO community. My days are spent helping entrepreneurs and business owners build the strategic tools and execution plans they need to get clear on their vision and direction to align everyone in their business, develop clear brand positioning and impactful messaging to ensure that everyone is communicating the same message and story, differentiate themselves in the sea of sameness, and attract the right clients, team members, and investors needed for their business to thrive. All of this contributing to accelerating the growth and success of their ventures. But enough about me. This episode is all about introducing you to Catalytics, a 2022 CEO venture, and here to tell us about it is the founder, Sherry Vanderpool. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and what a great introduction. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for being here with us. And so your venture is Catalytics. You solve veterinary problems with technical solutions. So tell us about you and your team and the problems that you solve and for whom? So yes, I'm the CEO and founder of Catalytics, and we're a 10-person Canadian agritech company. So we have an amazing team, and our team has skills in software, hardware, data analytics, as well as really specialized expertise in the cattle industry. So what we try to do is we try to work in the area where veterinary medicine intersects with technology and come up with some really creative integrative solutions. And so we work in this niche and I think there's very few companies um, that, that actually work in this area, uh, but that allows us to um, solve problems that other places don't necessarily have all the skills to solve. So uh, keeping track of animal records and being preventative about animal health, uh, creating devices that gather information in some really technically difficult situations. And so we work in a consulting role, but we also create devices and software, which we believe will integrate sustainability into some of these processes as well. So what I'm hearing you saying is you solve problems for vets, you solve problems for farmers, and I know there's also an economics piece to it as well. Can you chat a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So veterinarians sometimes have a limited access to the information that they need in order to be able to properly consult on that information. So it might be relatively easy to make decisions on a single animal, but when you're talking about multiple animals, I mean, we've seen the situations with COVID and how mass scale infections can cause not only disruption, but they can require a healthcare intervention that's based on a mass approach. And so with cattle, it's also similar. So if you don't have that data and that information, you can't make very good choices. And that's what vets come across. Uh, when it comes to farmers, for instance, when you're dealing with these situations, they're quite biologically complex. And so being able to provide them with 
outcomes, um, places to store their data in order to be able to retrieve their data and then prevent issues as opposed to just patching up the animals that get sick. That's positive for them, but that's also positive for the world. We have so many of us that are so interested in sustainability. We're so interested in what's going on in the cattle world and we hear it being a hot button issue, but our knowledge in this issue as a society is actually quite limited. And I find that when I go to to parties, if you can believe it, uh, maybe pre-COVID. In those situations, people want to talk about cattle. They have questions. They want to understand. They want to know where their food comes from. You know, they're making choices about this based on information, but that often is limited information or it's information that's not tied to uh, Canada specifically where we're, we're working or it's not tied to the States or it's not, you know. So, so how can they make good choices without understanding how to positively impact the world's sustainability and animal welfare. And there's not a lot of guidance in that area. So this definitely is something that I feel like people do care about and they do want to become more educated about and they want the information to make preventative choices as opposed to always being behind the eight ball. So it sounds like a lot of the work you do is about education of all your target audiences as well as the general public. So are you partly an education company or do you leave that to others? So we do leave that to others. I'm interested in talking here today with you because I think that is something that is missing and something that I'm passionate about, but that really isn't our bread and butter. What we do is we create software systems. So let's take the example of antibiotic usage. So you might go to a supermarket and see meat that might be stamped antibiotic free. And when you make that choice, you probably see that and might not even think it through, but, but believe that by buying that meat, you're making a positive choice. And we don't necessarily always think through what that actually means or what that means for the animals. So you or I, as healthy as we might be, we might've been in a situation where you're sick and you're miserable, or you've got strep throat and getting access to antibiotics could be, you know, pain saving. It could be life saving. It's very important. Um, can they be overused even in people? Definitely, right? Can they be underused in some situations? I think in human healthcare, that's less likely, but there's situations where animals do have need of antibiotics for a very specific reason. And if we choose to never give that to them because we've made a decision that we think is positive for our health, that could have a negative impact on their health or their welfare. And so choosing animals to never have antibiotics, as much as I don't want to anthropomorphize this, it's a choice that doesn't necessarily put their welfare first. And so that's where you'll hear the term, the judicious use of antibiotics, because we want to be smart about how we use them. We want to use them for good reason. We want to use them based on research. Um, we want to use them based on evidence and we want to choose the right ones. There's a lot of antibiotics that are used in cattle that actually are of little significance to human health. We don't use them anymore. They're, they're not really as effective or they might have side effects or they were never designed for, um, for people in the first place. One of the most powerful antibiotics in cattle was designed just for cattle and is used just in cattle. So when, when we talk about these topics, just saying, oh, they're antibiotic free or we're stopping using this antibiotic or something like this, it's a very um, blanket statement that doesn't actually speak to the reality of the situation. So what we try to do in the software that we create, we support 
we maintain is keeping track of um, all of the animal records, keeping track of every single situation where an, a head of cattle receives an antibiotic in order to be able to do a few things, in order to be able to see how effective it is, in order to be able to have the, the people who do research be able to conduct the proper research, to make the right choice between them, and then to be preventative about it. There's some antibiotics given at the exact right time that can actually prevent disease outbreaks. And even though you might think, why am I giving the antibiotics to a healthy animal? If it's given in that very specific time, it's been proven that you decrease the usage overall and you decrease the disease outbreak. So it requires a lot of knowledge about this industry in order to make the right moves. And I think people want the right moves to be made when it comes to cattle and sustainability and choosing antibiotics so that we're not creating uh, strains of bacteria that um, start to affect humans because we don't have effective tools to work against them. So the systems and the software and the knowledge need to be integrated in ways to allow this. And it's a complex picture. And that's where we're working in. This is just one example of the areas that we're working in, but we have new software coming out that's gonna be primarily for the dairy industry. And we're trying to really integrate these concepts and the ability to run a dairy sustainably into the software itself so that it aids farmers in things that they'd like to do, but in the past have had a really hard time doing. I believe strongly that there are systems that we can design to either help us and support us doing good or making it really difficult to do good. And that's what we're trying to do here. So it's a truly integrative approach to solving some of the world's problems. One of the words that you used was judicious. And I loved that aspect of leading to humane treatment for the animals and improving humanity. So let's see if I've got this straight because I've also seen one of your presentations. I know that you develop tools as well, that collect better data, are more humane for the animals, are more accurate, and are easier for the vets to use. Then with that data, let me see if I can go from micro to macro here. You collect the data, say from certain cattle, from various herds, or from a herd, and then you bring all of that together using your software. You collect the data, and then you're able to look at it from a macro analysis of what is actually going on if we treat down to the day or the time, you can go, oh, if we treat on this day, it can prevent this outbreak versus waiting too long. And so what you're really doing is going from start to end to tell the story of what is affecting cattle, not just in antibiotics, but across the spectrum of making farmers and vets' lives better, easier, more efficient. Did I nail it? There's a reason why you do what you do, Carly. That's, that's great. Yeah. It, I think you're referring to, to our near instantaneous cattle thermometer. Yes. Yeah. Being able to take temperatures in sub one seconds that are highly, highly accurate in order to make better choices about how we manage the health of that animal. Yes. And then on a larger scale, being able to put that information together to make good choices about the drugs we might use to, to treat that animal. So we associate in our brains drugs and bad or, you know, you know but, but when it comes to a lot of these things, it's just exactly that judicious how do we make the right judgment call in that situation and we understand it for our own health but that's what we want to do for animals is be preventative uh, be smart about how we do this and then use the data to guide us to better decisions fantastic in doing some research for this episode one of the things that i love about your brand and communications if you go to your website is the essence that you've chosen to communicate with your brand is approachable 
It's not overly serious or scientific, which makes it accessible for those of us not in your field and in your space. And you even weave in some light humor on your site. Well, I think as much as I recently don't do much practical veterinary medicine, I think if you're working at all, especially in large animal medicine, you have to have a sense of humor. Everything from trying to do a, a, a DA surgery, which is a displaced apomasum, in, in a cow and having a cat come and sit on your surgical instruments as you're trying to do this and get very comfortable as it's, you know, um, to situations where um, I was assisting in a C-section and it was in a full-on windstorm. So there was hay going everywhere and I've had to dart animals in the field. It, you know, anytime you go out with a dart gun, it's, it's not a good job. It's, it's not going to be a good day. So you, I think you also have to, when you're dealing with animals at all, you can't take yourself too seriously because you'll just, yeah, <laughs> you need a sense of humor. I can just imagine, <laughs> especially with a herd that is always suspecting, right? So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. So you made quite the career shift mm -hmm. from software to veterinary medicine, which both require a lot of training and time. What prompted that? Yeah. So um, I studied what was basically electrical and computer engineering at McMaster. I did a minor in fine art back then. And then I found myself working um, at IBM and I was a team lead there. And it was interesting work. I was working with really smart people, but I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point in life where you're wondering what you're doing and why you're doing it and how it can at times disconnect you from what you're actually passionate about. And we follow career journeys that are set out for us and you take the step after step after step and then you find yourself in a place that has really no connection to who you are or what you're passionate about. And so it was one of the most difficult decisions because if you've been really entrenched in a job and your responsibilities and even paying bills and the practicalities of that, to switch companies, I didn't feel like that would bring me back to the areas that I was passionate about, which was people, problems that actually impact our society, um, problems tied to sustainability, problems that intersected some of these areas of technology and animal health. So how do I get into that? And it really meant for me going back to school to get prereqs, which was really scary because I had to show up on day one back to my university, like almost 10 years later bringing my lunch to school, wondering whether or not I'd make any friends on day one to um, then writing my MCAT and applying for vet school and then that process. So, I mean, it was definitely a leap of faith. And if you're in that position, as far as making those decisions, I didn't just quit my job one day. I, I lined up everything I needed to line up to have, you know, safety nets and all that kind of stuff. But I, I couldn't imagine all of the things I would have missed out on if I didn't make that jump. And so I think taking that moment, even if you're far down your career path and you're set, I think sometimes when we're a little bit older, when we, when we make that decision, we think, oh, well, I've already done this much, you know, but what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Are you going to keep on doing something that doesn't resonate with you? Um, or are you going to make a change? And, and I really, I was glad that I, I did make that change and it was scary, but there's no way the doors would have opened up or the experiences I've had would have happened if I kept where I was. And just so I've caught it and for our listeners as well. So you went from software engineering, you went back to school, you went back to take veterinary medicine. Is that correct? Yeah. So I needed to take some prereqs first before that. So 
I crammed in almost like all the required courses from a biology degree into about six months, which was a whirlwind. And then I was, I had the prerequisites in order to be able to apply. So I can only imagine Yeah. what's always interesting is it's always the thing we worry about. You know, you've got all this that you're cramming in and you're saying, I'm going to school wondering if I'm going to make any friends. <laughs> right. And that well, is sitting next to 17 year olds. And I'm like, I'm like 30. And, and so, and so like, yeah. And, and I still, one of the people I work with today was somebody I met back in my botany class. Um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, interesting, but actually the kids were super nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it reminds me of my first days in the CEO community, you know, who am I going to connect mm. with? Am I going to jive with this community? Am I hanging out with my people? You know, the people who believe what I believe. And that's one of the things that I love about CEO and about the entrepreneurial journey is, is those people that are passionate, the change makers, the visionaries, the strivers, is, is we all find ourselves in this entrepreneurial journey, which is always piecing things together as we go. And yet here we are, like you said, what are you going to do? Stay in a job where you're unhappy or are you going to follow your passion? So I love that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of passions and your journey, I discovered that you also have a quote unquote side hustle. I'm not quite sure where you find the time, but this is a really interesting side hustle. And I went down the Instagram rabbit hole. So you have always wanted to design and architect your own treehouse. Tell us about your treehouse. <laughs> So architecture and building and this kind of stuff. I mean, I, I kind of got off track from high school. I was like, architecture sounds amazing. Why don't I take engineering and arts? And you know, that that's basically the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, but architecture was always something that I was really interested in. And I also grew up going to a cottage. My grandmother had a cottage in the Muskokas. And so uh, I was just hoping that one day I'd be able to buy one. And there was one that went on the market just down from where her small little cabin was. And we took a look at it and the price was a bit too much. And then they said that they decreased the price. And then we put even a lower offer and they gave it to us. And it was an absolute hole. And it was, you know, it was rotted and it was awful and it smelled like dead animals. And it was on the side of kind of like a piece of granite. And it was only a few feet from the water. And everybody we met was like, oh, you're gonna get rid of that and build somewhere else, right? Like that's that's gotta go. And both me and my husband saw the dream and we saw the vision. We saw what it could be. And it's really rare to actually have a cottage that is that close. It's, it's something that has to be grandfathered in. So we did this massive renovation, dare you say it, because we ended up replacing almost everything in it slowly as we found more and more was rotten. And uh, being able to design that, what is kind of like a, like a raised tree house, it was definitely a lifetime experience for me. And it has floor to ceiling windows. And because it's so small, when you're in there, you feel like you're right out on the water, right in the trees. It's really quite a special, unique experience. And so we went from our rotted rundown, um, dead animal <laughs> hole on the side to creating a really small but magical experience that now, I think last week, the Toronto Sun mentioned us and Nar City, and um, we've got about 20,000 followers on Instagram that have been so kind to come along with us on this journey in order to create a really magical experience in the Muskokas now. We call ourselves cottage creators in that kind of um, world, but it's been so interesting connecting with um, influencers, connecting with different people from the media. 
it's just an area that as much as um, as much as we do with catalytics, we actually don't necessarily seek out clients that often because we're so busy. And so the marketing that we've enjoyed doing, we don't necessarily, we haven't had the need to do on the veterinary side, uh, but it's been so interesting. And I think one of the things that ties it to what we do in catalytics, I believe strongly that if you can make amazing things, people will see that and they'll see the goodness in that and that will give you legitimacy. And so um, what we couldn't prove, what people wouldn't believe when we saw this vision of what this could be, when we created it and people see the images of it, they're like, I wanna go there. I wanna be on the side of this granite cliff, two feet from the water with floor to ceiling windows and I wanna wake up there. And, and that's the thing with catalytics too, is that with some of our technologies, like the, the, the thermometer, our dairy software that's coming out, we really believe that the goodness will be in those devices themselves and they'll speak for themselves. And then what we do on top of that, as far as marketing, um, you can, you can run with that. You'll find people who are inspired by that. You'll connect with great people because they'll see what you're making and they want to be part of that too. So what I'm hearing you say is in both businesses, you're building community and you're bringing people with you through the art of story. Yes, very well spoken, actually. Yeah, definitely that's what we're trying to do is build community, right? As much as, as these are businesses, they're not chosen just to make money, right? Um, it's, it's helpful to be able to feed yourself and it's helpful to um, be able to bring value to other people. And that's often where we see the financial benefit is when you're bringing value to other people. But definitely there's good things that we're trying to do here. And we're trying to create a community within, for instance, our cottage creators world, where we're connecting with people, we're employing people who are involved in the maintenance, we're um, meeting people who are like-minded or want to create content. But in catalytics as well, that's where we're really interested in connecting more with actual dairy farmers, for instance, people on the ground, looking at their problems and seeing, can we add value? Do you have a problem that we can solve? What can we do that'll save you that 20 minutes that day that'll just make your life easier? And I think when you're people focused and when you're problem focused, um, you're bringing value to the community and people will appreciate that. They'll keep on coming after you because they know that you can deliver the goods. I absolutely agree. There is such a art to listening to your audience, to being in community with your audience, to creating that space where they feel safe and honored and respected to communicate and learning what their problems are is is often a way to create a path for your journey and the way that a lot of companies find other holes and gaps that they can fill with other services, other ways to help. And I see that as being of service. So I know that you're a mom of two young girls. I don't, again, come back to, I don't know where you find the time, but I'd love for you to share with us how being a mom has shaped who you are as a business owner and entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and that's a really good question, I think, because the fact is, is that parenting is a switch. It does force you to realize what's important to you or what you thought you needed to do. Suddenly your priorities totally get switched, right? And suddenly the priorities of a day end up being, what does this child need to survive initially? What does, what do they need to, to thrive? What do they need to discover who they are? And um, figuring out that it, it brings so many questions, but you're also just, you just really live in the moment of trying to make sure that you're meeting their needs. 
And so I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and my five-year-old as well has Down syndrome. And that definitely was a journey. It was a journey being pregnant, finding out a diagnosis, and then being presented with such a terrible recommendation. Because when we went in to say, we know the deal, we know what you're going to say, we know that there's choices that you're going to provide us. If you're okay, just don't provide us with the choices because we know that we have the resources, we know what what we want to do. And then hearing the doctor say to me, you know, you and your husband are high achievers and, and you guys have done so much. And that's why this is going to be so much harder for you. And you'll be all the more devastated because your child will just continue to disappoint you and disappoint you and won't go to, um, she won't go to college. She won't achieve. And that will be. That's a pretty strong judgment from someone who is outside of you. Yeah. And I'm sorry you had to experience that. Yeah. So seeing when you talk about community, when, when you talk about seeing what community means and seeing what people mean to you, if you think of the people that mean a lot to you, chances are they mean a lot to you because they were there for you. Maybe when you needed them, they gave you a hug when you needed it. They listened to you when, when you needed to be listened to. It wasn't necessarily because they finished college that they mean a lot to you, right? <laughs> it wasn't. In fact, I bet you it wasn't, right? And so when we talk about some of these things and the value of people, seeing that value placed on people and seeing that so opposite from how I value people, it really highlighted how important those things are. And I think of her now and how just at dinner today, just so positive, so happy, so you know, cheering us because we, we had ketchup on our hamburgers. It's impossible for people to know what your journey is and what's important to you and what a good life is. And for people externally to say that to you, that has so little power. And so if there's anything with all of this stuff, it's just finding your path, finding what's important to you, trying to focus on that, trying not to, to listen to what other people say, because what's truly important in life and what we're going after here in the end, it's people, it's relationships, it's how we're bringing value to each other and how we're bringing value to this community. Absolutely. Am I allowed to use her name? Yeah, sure. It's Constance. Can you share your favorite Constance story that has taught you a lesson about business or entrepreneurship? I think the thing is, is that some of the decisions we made and when you've asked me why we, you know, have pushed ourselves at times to do some of these side hustle things or um, a lot of them are from watching her. And so if you know anything about Down syndrome, basically you take somebody like me or you, and we take all of our neurons and we make them harder to fire, harder to receive information. And then we say, okay, now go do life. So <laughs> when we go to, when I went to a school recently, it was trying to say to a child, it's like you put on three snowsuits and try to run a race. How are you going to do? If you're, if you're a good runner, maybe you'll do still do okay, right? It, but in the end, everything becomes more difficult. And so watching her learn how to walk, watching her learn how to talk, watching her work at every single little thing and having such a positive view of it. And I mean, she gets tired. She's, <laughs> she gets bugged by her sister sometimes, but she works so hard to just do the basics and is still so, um, so positive in the moment it just makes me want to do more. It makes me want to be a better mother. It makes me want to achieve more. 
and to create a world that I feel like will be more welcoming of children like her. Thank you for allowing me to make the space and you stepping into that space and sharing that with us. And I know it's a vulnerable part of your journey, but it sounds like she is just full of wonder and creates so much magic herself. So thank you for that. Yeah, she's, she's totally the best. And we're so lucky. And I think as hard as it is to tell a story like that, I think, I think we have to push ourselves to think about some of these topics, not in a cerebral way, but in a way where our hearts come first. Absolutely. I love that. So let's circle back to CEO and community. With regards to becoming a CEO venture this year, can you share with us some reflections on becoming a part of the community and how that's affected you and your business? When I was approached by a friend from my IBM days, a woman named Laura Lee, she suggested this and I wasn't quite sure what it meant. And getting involved in this community has meant that already there's been times where when I've been up against the wall for something and I haven't known who to ask or who to um, turn to, because when you're an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily have a lot of resources and you have some really big problems. We deal with some, uh, some really big companies and we have some big technologies. And so when you're dealing with some of these really big players, you don't necessarily have a a script going forward, especially when you're doing something very unique. And so there's already been a few times where I've reached out to people to try to figure out a better way forward. And just having that support, having that community, having somebody else that actually cares and will listen, it's so, so valuable. And I only hope that I'll find a way to um, to also give back to other ventures, because I think that's it, right? Is just that, that community of both being willing to ask when a lot of us aren't very comfortable with asking, but also to provide whatever resources we have to, we become so much stronger. Absolutely. Asking is hard. It requires vulnerability. It requires confidence. It requires sometimes admitting that you're wrong or not admitting what you don't want to know. And so often I'm telling, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, and Asking is the biggest step because I know in this community in particular, everyone wants to help. And if they can't help, they will find, or they know someone that can help. So that power of network in this community and that those acts of radical generosity are just phenomenal. So in the spirit of radical generosity, you're segueing really well for me today. You're making my job easy. <laughs> um, do you have an ask for our listeners and the CEO community? How can we help you achieve your goals and more success this year? Well, this year we're hoping to uh, launch some of our dairy software. And so we're definitely interested in anybody who has inroads into different aspects of the dairy industry. We have a lot of contacts locally, but there's a lot of different places and there's a lot of different people that are looking to integrate sustainability into some you know, dairy operations. So that's definitely a place where um, we'd love to hear from people if they have any contacts. And then I'd say also we're working on some new devices and anybody who's spent time as far as patents or IP, that's definitely a place where we have interest and we struggle at times. So those are the two things that come to mind right now. Fantastic. Well, that wraps all my questions for today. Thank you so much, Sherry, for being with us and sharing your story and being a part 
of our SHEO community. Thanks so much for having me, Carly. And thank you so much for everybody who's listening here. I just appreciate this community and appreciate being part of it. If you want to reach out to Sherry, find out more about Catalytics, you can check the show notes from this episode. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the SheEO.World podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at SheEO.World.